0: It's Friday the 16th of April and this is the Reds Unrestricted, episode 14. Today we're joined by football writer and regular contributor to the Anfield Index, John O'Sullivan, to look back on Liverpool's exit at the hands of Real Madrid from the Champions League, Thiago's role within the side, James Milner's recently increased game time and a look ahead to Leeds United on Monday night in the Premier League. Welcome to another episode of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. Uh, as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Dave Comerford. We've got a lot to get through this week, so I'll just check in with Dave and see how we are. We've got seven games of the season left now. Um, is that a blessing to you, Dave? Are you quite happy to see the finishing line approaching?
1: Yeah, I'd say I am. Um, you know, it's been a very like emotionally taxing season, really. Um, probably goes for the fans and the players that. Uh, obviously, there's a lot to fight for. It's not like you know, there's nothing to play for in these games, but you know, there's, there's no denying that we're all very much looking ahead to, to next season and when, when we hope things will, from a Liverpool point of view, be back to something resembling normality. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, obviously, we're in the
0: wake of the Real Madrid elimination in midweek and we're going to look ahead to Leeds a little bit later on. But in the interim, we've got quite a lot to get through. So, I'll bring in our guest this week, uh, John O'Sullivan, sports writer and regular contributor to the Anfield Index. So, John, first of all, how are you? And same question to you, really. Are you happy to see the finishing line approaching? Um, And where are you with the season at the
2: minute? Yeah, great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Yeah, I really am looking forward to it, to be honest with you. It's it's long felt like an interminable slog. I actually think that Liverpool can have a positive end to the season and finish in the top four, but... Yeah, honestly, I am kind of looking forward to having it finish. Uh, but then again, I know myself that like two weeks after it finished, I'd be really pining for it to come back because they're be kind of bored on weekends. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the close of it will be good for the players, the coaches, and us fans alike because it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster. To use a tired old cliche. Yeah, one hundred percent.
0: I think. Just to finish off on that, I think I'm in a very similar boat, to be honest with you. Uh, As much as, like you touched upon, we'll all miss the footy once it's gone. Um, Although the internationals come around pretty quick, but they're not the same as we all know. Um, But like you say, it's been a tough season for many reasons. So to have now knowing we've only got seven games to go is a little bit of a blessing in disguise, in my opinion. So we'll move on to the Real Madrid aftermath really now. Um, And I'll come back to you, John. So, we've got your three-word match review um,
2: on what happened in the week Um, and also just your general thoughts around the game, really. I guess my three words would be missed many chances. Um, My overall thoughts were that Liverpool, in terms of their intensity, in terms of their counter-press, in terms of their attitude and in their attempts to really, like, strike Madrid, I think all of those were really good, especially for the first hour of the game. Now, I think the tempo kind of died off after 60 minutes, which is perhaps inevitable given you know the slog that this season has been. And also, you know, when you make so many changes en masse that you kind of lose a bit of synergy between the players. So the first 60 minutes were, were superb. I think Real Madrid were relatively comfortable for the last 30. But it feels a bit like the Atletico Madrid clash last year in that we lost it in the first leg in Spain. And uh, toothlessness at Anfield then really cost us a tie. Uh, It was disappointing, but honestly, I felt much more crestfallen after Liverpool defeats in the past. Part of me thinks like we just don't have the personnel to win the Champions League this year with all the injuries. And, you know, it kind of just uh, it would have just delayed our pain somewhat if we had gone through. And then another part of me thinks it may be a blessing in disguise because now this Liverpool team will have seven domestic fixtures to focus on. And it will give them maybe the adequate rest and recuperation they've so badly needed at times this season.
0: Yeah, I'd say they're all very, very good points, especially with seven games left. I think, you know, we've all spoken about how much, how the lack of rest these players have had. So now knowing we've got these seven fixtures with decent gaps in between could be exactly what we needed in the running, to be honest. I'll come to you now, Dave. Uh, Same thing, three-word match review from the week. And just your general feelings around the game, please.
1: So for my review, I went with expected but painful. Um, you know, I I didn't think we'd go through after the first like, as I said last week. And realistically, as John, as John rightly says, we were always outsiders for the, for the composition at best, really. But it still it still hurt on on Wednesday because you know, we had the chances and we could easily have prolonged the sort of the dream really, uh, whether it's postponing the pain or not, you know, obviously um, everyone's going to have their own their own views on that. Um, now obviously it's just, it's about making sure we get top four because you know, the anticipation I felt for both legs of, of the tie and, and seeing the sort of fans, you know, the, the fans that were gathered outside Anfield and stuff it just makes me, you know pretty desperate to make sure we've got that next season when we will have fans and, you know, the Europa League doesn't compare whatsoever um, to, you know, Champions League football. It's an incredible spectacle, really. So, yeah, my main concern between now and the other season are obviously getting that top four finish and also Man City not winning the quadruple, which which is kind of creeping nearer by the week, that possibility.
0: Yeah, that last point terrifies me. A lot. more, the Champions League's the one that terrifies me with City. To be honest with you, I don't. I'm not overly fussed if they win the two domestic's and the league's already done, obviously. Um, but then winning the Champions League is not something that I like. Um, just to round up, really, my my point I was going to make you've kind of already touched upon. My three word review was I hate Madrid for all the reasons John touched upon. It that second leg in particular was reminiscent of the Atletico game although that hurt a lot more obviously because well I was there for one but I don't know football this season doesn't feel quite as emotionally damaging when you do lose and, and the same could be said for when you win it doesn't feel quite as good but for the same token we, we could have won that game last night whether we'd have gone through or not we probably should have won that game regardless so yeah it just felt a lot like that although we didn't make the keeper work as much as we did against Atletico last season. We had the chances. I mean, the Salah one in the first minute, like he has to score that in my opinion. So it was a painful, painful defeat to take. Um, but yeah, I wanted to move on really now just to get some more positives from it, um, I suppose. And so I'll come back to you, John. So the, what, the two people we're probably going to touch on in particular were Trent Alexander-Arnold and Ozan Karak. And I thought both of them were really good during the game, Trent in particular. So, yeah, just to finish off on the Madrid, just any positives you could take from it?
2: Oh, I think there's ample positives to take from this. Uh, you mentioned Quebec and Alexander-Arnold, and i totally wholly agree with that. Um, an element of Quebec's game that seems to have come on leaps and bounds in recent weeks is his passing. You mentioned the, the Salah chance that he should have scored in the first minute. Well, that came about because Quebec played this beautiful, dinked pass into the left-hand channel for Sadio Mane. And for one of the first times in what feels like ages, Mane's first touch was on point. He manages his skin, Fede Valverde, and cross the sala And, you know, he ought to have scored. But that came from, one, Quebec being proactive in defence. He, he won the ball off one of the Real Madrid players just outside his own box. And then, two, having the vision and the guile to be able to pick out the pass. So that's been a really nice element of his game that's maybe surprised a few people. Also, the fact that in Germany, Quebec was like the aggressive centre-half. Um, maybe, you know, the Dejan Lovren role where it's like C-ball, ball. But since he's come to Liverpool, he's played more measured. He's been a lot more of a sweeper and he's organized a lot behind that Phillips. And, you know, at 21 years of age in a new country that he's moved to in the midst of a pandemic, so he wouldn't have much of a social life. And that obviously adds to the difficulty of adaptation. I think, really, bar a couple of uh, dodgy first games, he's done spectacularly well. And, you know, it's interesting to see these performances amid the links to Ibrahama Kanate so maybe maybe it's a red herring to to really motivate him or perhaps they do want both I, I hope they want both but uh, he's been superb lately so I think that's that that's a big plus uh, Trent every time that Trent plays well it, it's like radio silence from his detractors and you know this was another example there was no Trent Alexander, Arnold can't defend narratives around. Uh, I thought he was excellent. He was unfortunate not to have an assist. I remember that pass he played to Roberto Firmino in the second half with the outside of his foot. I mean, like if any other player is doing that, you're seeing TikToks dedicated to it. You're seeing reams of tweets dedicated to it. you are seeing articles on The Athletic, 9,000 words on why Trent Alexander's, Arnold's right boot could be the source of world peace. Um I, I thought he was sublime throughout and, you know, I actually didn't think he was that good against Aston Villa, but he came up with the big moment and that could be massive in the context of Liverpool's season. And like, hopefully that was the start of a good run of form because I'm so confident in his ability that if he plays to his full capability in the remaining seven games that Liverpool would get top four. So uh, I think that, that was a major plus. I thought Phillips Bar two occasions, one where he just like inexplicably falls over <laughs> on the on the right hand touchline and Karim Benzema goes past him. And another time where Vinicius Jr. catches him very flat footed, and that's where Allison had to make a save. I thought he was quite good. He was as progressive on the ball as I've ever seen him. He was playing lots of uh he was playing lots of low zipped balls into the into the channels and finding players on the half turn, kind of like what Joe Gomez would do. So I think that was another plus. Uh, the starting midfield, I thought, were quite good. Um, the tempo kind of died a bit when Milner went off. I felt, but I think that was probably inevitable, as I touched on before. So yeah, there there was plenty of positives to take, and especially the way they carved up, they carved open so many opportunities against a very well drilled Spanish champions. And you know, Real Madrid might well win it for a second year running. So if 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 you take those positives and apply them to the Premier League you know, with vastly inferior uh, opponents in six out of those seven games, then, you know, you start to see that, yeah, there's a good chance that we could finish the season on a, on a good nose. And realistically, Liverpool getting fourth this season, I think, in the context of this turn, given the injuries and everything that's happened, I think that would be a great season, personally. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's something we'll touch on later, really, in terms
0: of, you know, how the season will look if we finish inside the top four. Yeah. Um, Right I mentioned the Trent pass. That was that was ridiculous. Uh but you also right to mention the narrative around Trent at the minute is all very negative. So obviously, had we won the game, it might have been slightly different. But you know, a 0-0 draw, which Trent was outstanding in, was never likely at the moment to to attract many headlines. You know, from outside Liverpool fans, anyway, we can all sit here and see how good he was, because he was, he was outstanding. But from the outside looking in, at the minute people are looking to slam him as opposed to praise him. So that performance, as good as it was, is never likely, unfortunately, to get much praise. And I just want to finish off on this for you, Dave, really, and touch on the performances. But it's something we've alluded to already. I, as positive as Liverpool fans were in terms of Champions League chances with all the omens, realistically, you know, facing PSG or Man City in the final, had we got there, it might have been a step too far. So just to finish off, Obviously, touch on the performance the other night in terms of individuals, but did Liverpool do as well as could be expected, I suppose, in the Champions League?
1: Well, for the first part of the question, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to to follow John's analysis of it, really. Um, but I'd say, yeah, obviously, Trent was incredible. Didn't put a foot wrong defensively. And particularly for the first hour or so of the game, he was brilliant going forward as well. Um, and, you know, I think Fabinho played well again. Kebaks looking more assured by the game as John alluded to, and also Allison made a, a great double save, um, which is a good response to his mistake at the weekend, really. So, yeah, it was a performance that had pretty much all the ingredients, except the most important one, obviously. And um, in terms of the the second question, uh, you know, obviously, without Van Dijk, in my opinion, the best defender in the world, like we, we were dark horses at best, really and no fans as well is is obviously a factor because we've seen the kind of the unquantifiable advantage really that's given Liverpool um, over the years. And having said that, I said before that this particular tie that we were the favourites given the injuries that Real Madrid had. um, Whether that was slightly naive, I don't know. Um, And we did make mistakes, you know, Klopp made a selection error in the first leg. Um, There were defensive errors made in in that game as well. And then obviously we spend great chances in, in the second leg. So that's really where we haven't gone further. So on balance, I'd say no, not as well as expected. I'd say going out in the semi-finals would have been probably meeting my realistic expectations. But, you know, at a certain point, when you're not front runners for the trophy, it doesn't make a massive difference.
0: Yeah, so that was fair enough. Um, like I say, meeting PSG and the all city in the final would have been a seriously difficult challenge with all the problems we face. So yeah, disappointing, but there we go. We'll move on now, um, to, to the midfield, actually, which John John touched upon just a second ago. And I'm gonna start with Tiago. Now we've got a couple of quotes here to lead us in. So this week James Pearce wrote that Thiago's bench role for Liverpool's Champions League exit underlined the brutal reality of his first season struggles. Now, he was on the bench, obviously, in midweek. and I think he was on the bench for the, th- the two games before that, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, now, the BBC's Phil McNulty kind of backed that up and said that Thiago was meant to be a tempo dictating game changer after arriving from last season's Champions League winners Bayern Munich, but he has struggled. It was significant that he did not start either leg like in this quarterfinal when these looked like the sort of games he'd been signed to play in. Now, for me, that's, that's probably fair enough. You know, Thiago's been there, done it, won it all, and played an integral part in that. And we signed a player of his sort of quality to play in these games. and Obviously, it hasn't gone as well as planned for in this season. So, I wanted to get your thoughts first on the quotes, John. And I suppose on this season
2: overall, really. I guess... If you look at the quotes and take them just at face value, it's, it's fair enough. But I think you have to look at it in context. And the context is he's had no preseason. He's missed three months with an injury. He's had COVID. Um, when he returned to the team, the team were more or less in free fall. Um, and people, I think another part of Pierce's article was mentioned though he hasn't scored or assisted. Well, like that, he's never regularly scored or assisted in his career. That's not really what he's supposed to be doing. Like his job as I think the second quote alluded to is, you know, to dictate the tempo and to, you know, give Liverpool like an incisive front foot attacking kind of passing from deep. And that that's all well and good. But I mean, it, it necessitates your teammates being being at their best level and being sharp. And for the vast majority of the season, they haven't been. I think the only time really he's played in what you would describe as Liverpool's optimum midfield was the Merseyside derby. And I thought on that day, Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago were absolutely superb and Everton were blessed to get a draw on that occasion. So he's been certainly unlucky. I don't disagree with the quotes as such, but I always like kind of try to apply some context to it. He won't have a preseason this year, presuming uh, that he goes to Spain, Euro 2020 is it's still called despite the fact it takes part in 2021 campaign and he'll probably be a cornerstone of that team so he, he once again he won't have a preseason but I think he will be so much better next season for having this uh, bedding in season he's just too talented I think to not really hit hit, hit the heights or even come close to hitting the heights uh, anticipated for him. He, he, he's largely been unfortunate but uh, I don't wholly I don't disagree with what they're saying I just think maybe it's a little bit unfair to put it in that light. Yeah for me
0: I, I mean that's more than fair enough I think we've seen in the past players come over to the Premier League and struggle to settle it almost takes a season a lot of time now Thiago is a world-class footballer and you know you're right to touch on his talent being too good but you know, he's been there, done it and won everything. Like he, he is an outstanding footballer and I think he'll come good in the long run. And I think, you know, when he's got the players alongside him that he was signed to play with next year, I think we'll see a whole different footballer altogether. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts as well on that, Dave, really.
1: Well, John mentions the the section of Pearce's article, which I read last night where he said he hasn't got a goal or an assistant. I was slightly taken aback by that. And, you know, I was, the rest of the piece made you know, a fair bit of sense, but I do just wonder whether this is me reading into it too much, whether that says something about you know, the wider footballing uh, community in this country and whether we're judging Thiago really by you know, the right metrics and whether we... You know Maybe we're not necessarily used to, to players of his ilk. I don't know if that's just me making excuses for him, but I think it's, it's you know, an interesting idea in terms of the the statements that that you read out um it's a tough one because there's no denying that Thiago starting both ties on the bench doesn't reflect well on his season up to this point um but i think the the strange thing is he was probably in his you know his strongest form coming into the tie um which made it slightly confusing to not see him feature as much so i'm torn because like most other football fans, when there's a new signing, as Thiago still is, you know, you, you instinctively want to defend him, um, and you instinctively fight that corner. Um, if I'm being honest, he hasn't met the expectations that I had in the first place. Like I vividly remember how excited I was. I think it was a a Friday in September, um, and I you know I was checking my phone constantly, waiting for waiting for the announcements and stuff, and seeing the day before that we finally made the break, break so it felt like you know a, a huge moment already in like the in the title race um for that season um so he hasn't I don't like he's kind of lived up to that excitement i remember when when we had chris williams on um must have been a couple of months ago now um it was after the leicester game and we had a, a similar discussion where we each kind of gave him a rating up to that point and I think I gave him a seven at that time and I I wouldn't go any lower now than sort of a 6.5 for for his first season. And so, as that rating kind of suggests, he's been decent, but what I was kind of expecting was a game changer Um, and he hasn't hasn't been that. um, And then, obviously, there's a a really important caveat to add there that there's been a great deal of upheaval around him and, you know, next season could easily be very different, you know, John mentions that um, Derby midfield. I think that's the only time we've seen that, and in my opinion, that's probably our our strongest midfield. So, you know, if he's placed within that within that structure next season, I think I do think he could thrive still. So, you know, it, it's only the first season, um, and you know, there's still a, a few more good years of
0: Thiago. Yeah, I still think we'll we'll end up being delighted with the signing. But you're right; you're both right to touch upon. You know, we were all made up when we signed him. We expected huge things because we'd watched the Champions League last stages and just marvelled at how good a footballer he was. Now, that hasn't gone away. I just, I think the things he's been asked to do with Fabinho and Henderson aren't necessarily his strong points. I think with them two alongside him, he'll thrive next year. Um, That's what I certainly hope because, like I say, when you sign someone, you're so desperate for them to do well. That you'd almost defend them to the hilt regardless and um, but as i've touched upon before on this part like i'm happy to give pretty much all our players a free pass this season given what's gone before and given you know the problems we've had in many aspects of the season um and Thiago falls into that category definitely and um, so to move on really from tiago probably the person who started some of these games instead of him was james milner now They've kind of given me a stat here that at 35 years and 100 days old, Milner became the oldest player to start a European Cup knockout game for the Reds since Ian Callaghan against Busher and and Gladbach way back in 1978. So just to immediately go into that, I suppose, really, as opposed to Milner generally, like he obviously started in place of Thiago. Now, we've, we all thought he was pretty good the other night, which is fair enough but should he be starting Champions League games for Liverpool at this stage? I'll, I'll come to you
2: first, John. Um, it, it's difficult because sometimes I do think that Jurgen Klopp picks horses for courses midfields. Um, there's this big obsession on Twitter over, oh, what's Klopp's best midfield? Like, as, in, as in suggesting that he can pick the same midfield for the entire season, which is an absolute pipe dream. Yeah, he was quite good. Um, I thought that Klopp's rationale between, behind picking the midfield in either games was to kind of snuff out Madrid's playmaking threat. So obviously in the first game, he thought that KJ, who would have been fresh, you know, would have been able to stifle uh, Tony Kroos and Luka Modric. Uh, that worked spectacularly badly, unfortunately. And I think in the second leg that he probably thought that Okay, Milner is a leader. He's a communicator. He'll get stuck in. He's an underrated facet of Milner's game. I think is his intelligence. Like he's not the most, he's not the most technically polished player, but he is so smart. And I feel like he's kind of like a robot that can take on the manager's requests and the manager's instruction and carry them out to the best of his ability. So I thought that Jurgen Klopp thought, okay, let's try and get an early goal with Milner leading the tempo leading the press leading the intensity and then possibly we can spring on our five subs after the hour mark when he invariably tires because he's given his all for the last hour so would I have picked him to start no but I think he did justify his selection and I mean I can understand why Klopp would have picked him because Real Madrid's Danger really is their ability to play long and to play quickly over the top with their two playmaking midfielders, especially Kroos. So if Klopp thought that Milner could nullify him somewhat, then I guess I can I can understand the decision. Um I don't think if if any fan had picked their hypothetical eleven before the game, he would have been in it. But I, I do understand why he was included.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think we all kind of on Twitter backed the cater selection the week before, and obviously that backfired. Spectacular, like, like you said, really. He was out off the pace, out of the game. And I think Milner was probably a selection instead of Cater. I think in an ideal world he might have gone back to him, but it just wasn't realistic given what went on beforehand. But obviously Milner's now started against Arsenal, Aston Villa, and Real. So, Dave, what have you made of his performances have been good in all of them, I would say, but it's more the fact that you know, a while ago, he was a, a bit of a squad player, wasn't really featuring much. You tend to think that he's almost around for his influence and his leadership. But all of a sudden, he's become an integral part of Liverpool midfield again. So I think I want to really knuckle down on, should that be the case? Like, you know, we've got Kato and Thiago there. They should really be playing ahead of Milner, shouldn't, shouldn't they really? And, and also, how much do you think Milner's now going to play in the running, which is, which is crucial?
1: Well, whether you think the the selection of Milner reflects badly on those two players, and um, Milner is just viewed as this utility option from Klopp. That's that's one viewpoint you could take on it. You know, I, I think Milner's been been good in these in these games that he's played. I said before the game, you know, reacting to the surprise selection that we did lack a bit of leadership in the first leg, and I think our mindset was much much better um, on Wednesday. Aside from probably, I think towards the end of the game, where you could see that our our spirit was um, was fading a little bit, but you know beyond his just his presence, really, I think um, obviously he has his limits as a player. But I think John John used the phrase yeah, he he'll get stuck in, and and that's what he does. You know he's he's pretty effective at at breaking up um, opposition attacks, really, um, in in the middle of the park, and yeah, I'd say. Looking at the running, he definitely has a part to play. On performances, in my mind, it's only Fabinho, who's earned the right to be starting pretty much every game. Um, in fact, not pretty much every game, starting every game uh, between now and the end of the season. In Klopp's mind, it's obviously pretty clear that Wijnaldum is going to, you know, the seven games left, Wijnaldum probably start six of them as well. So... Whichever way you look at it, there's a place or two up for grabs. And I think Milner has a part to play and probably should be starting starting a few of those games. Obviously, not all of them. Um, that's not really realistic. But but yeah, I think there will be games where Milner will, will be called upon and, and there's no reason to doubt that he'll deliver when he is.
0: No, and I think the leadership point is, is what I was going to make as well. I think at times this season, we really lack leaders. Obviously, without Henderson and Van Dijk, for the most part, um, and we could probably go on to Alden in this. I think he's fourth to lose captain at the minute. But, you know, we're in danger of riling a serious Twitter feud if we mention Alden too much. So I'm not not really interested right now in that. But, yeah, I think Milner's performances have been good overall um, in this little trio of matches he started. And, and getting stuck in, he certainly did that in Benzema in about 30 seconds in, which was reminiscent of the Barcelona game and obviously we did make the comeback so you know that certainly looked to be in his mind in terms of not letting them settle and making sure they were there for a difficult night but obviously as it transpired it didn't quite work out Um, But yeah I wanted to so we've mentioned the running there in terms of Milner's value to it so we're going to move on to the running now Um, because obviously that's all Liverpool we've got to play for really um, in terms of potentially getting top four so obviously we start on Monday night against Leeds and then we've got Newcastle at home then we go to Manchester United which should be interesting Southampton at home, West Brom away, Burnley away and then we finish with Crystal Palace where we should have potentially 10,000 supporters inside Anfield which would be nice so I'll come back to you Dave because I think I've gone to John first every time so how many points are you expecting us to pick up there in those seven games? And will Liverpool get top four at
1: the end of it? Well, um at the moment, I think I'm right in saying we're on 52. I think high sixties could be enough. Um, so that's essentially five wins out of seven and maybe a draw in one of the others. If you actually look so let's look at the games like Leeds, Southampton, Crystal Palace with fans. I'm confident for those. For those games, um, so let's say that's that's three of the wins. Old Trafford, I reckon we can get a draw there. Um, I'm not necessarily sure we'll go there and win, but you know, we'll definitely it'll definitely be a good contest. Um, so that leaves Newcastle, West Brom and Burnley, um, all pretty poor sides, but equally, all three of those teams took points off us in December and January, and they're all in and around the relegation battle at the moment as well. Um, so you know, obviously you don't want to be playing teams who are, who are desperate for points, but I guess that the Sheffield United, Wolves, and probably the latter stages of the Villa game have given me hope that we can produce that moment to uh, to uh break down those kind of teams. Ideally, Newcastle, because obviously they're the game after Leeds. You know, if they get someone at West Ham this weekend, obviously that doubly helps us. And then if, if Arsenal beat Fulham, then Newcastle have a bit of breathing space and we're not up against a team who's fighting for their lives and Hopefully, Burnley by the time we play them in the penultimate game are, are safe as well. You'd think they would be, and um, so there obviously be no excuse for beating a team who's um, really achieved its goal for the season and it's just winding down. Whereas we're obviously fighting for everything. Looking at like the race um, more widely, I do think Chelsea will qualify. Um, I think they'll get top four because even in it, despite their European commitments, they do have a very big squad. Um, Which will be pretty invaluable to Tuchel, and obviously that means we have to leapfrog both uh, West Ham and Leicester to get to get there. And Leicester slipped up last week against uh, West Ham, and they've got a pretty favourable run of uh, of four games now. But then they finish with United away, Chelsea away, and Spurs at home. So if Leicester don't maximise the next few games, you're worried that for them that they'll fall short. because of that, obviously, really tricky end to the season. West Ham have actually got a lovely run in, um, and I think the last two weeks I've I've predicted defeats, um, for them in the absence of, of Rice for the uh, the Wolves game, and then both Antonio and Rice were out for the uh, Leicester game. Obviously, they're two best players in my opinion, um, but they've they've went and got six big points from those games, and it seems pretty dangerous to to write them off, and maybe we can't just assume that they'll fall away. So ultimately, I'm 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 torn. My hunch is that we will get it, Um, but I think it's going to be it's obviously going to go down to final day, and you'd hope to obviously having the fans at there at Anfield on the last day is is enough, and then we just about do it.
0: Well, yeah, hopefully. Um, I think you're right to bring Leicester into it. I think they're in free fall a little bit again, like last season. Um, Not so much in the results. Obviously, they got beat last weekend, but. I think what's happening around the club doesn't, doesn't reflect particularly well to on-field performances. So Dave's confidently, confidently predicting we do get top four and we go unbeaten. So, John, are you backing that claim up?
2: Yeah, um, I think I agree with that. I mean, if you look at the fixtures, years, um, Leeds United away, they have nothing really tangible to play for. Uh, Newcastle, depending on how they get on this weekend, could be in the same boat because they're six points clear and they have a game in hand. United is obviously the, the stickler. Um, I envisage a, a typically dour nil-all draw with United parking the bus and Liverpool being unable to prise them open, which has been the case for probably three of the last four seasons. And then you look at Southampton at home, again, they're kind of just floating in mid-table obscurity. They're not going to particularly go anywhere. When we play West Brom, they could already be down, hopefully. So again, that's, that's another really kind of a dead rubber, even though I I hate playing Allardyce teams. I just I just hate it. Um Burnley again, their their fate is already sealed. I, I would imagine they, they'll be safe. So that, that's a game that if you think Liverpool go into that game with lesser focus than Burnley, then they have a real issue. So you think that they should pick up the maximum points there. And then Palace, quite like Southampton, they're they're going nowhere. They're kind of just floating around the mid-table, no danger of being relegated. So you think on the last game of the season, with the fans back in, hopefully that Liverpool will you know, have enough to be able to get it done. So I think Liverpool have a more favourable run-in, certainly, than Leicester. And uh, the football romantics will hate to hear it, but I think Liverpool and Chelsea get top four and Leicester and West Ham don't. I just think that West Ham have too much of a mounting injury crisis to kind of get over. And they do have favourable games but they're a real counter-attacking side. I don't know how well they will do against teams that actually sit in against them. So I think they might fall out of it. And Leicester, as you mentioned, I don't think the culture is that good in the dressing room if their players are having house parties in the midst of COVID and you know, their they're running running is quite difficult. So I think they're going to compound a couple of defeats upon a couple of defeats because they'll just have the PTSD from last season. And I can see Liverpool and Chelsea getting there. I think Liverpool will probably get maybe 18 or 19 points out of the remaining 21 and that will bring them to near enough 70, 69 slash 70 and I think that should be enough and we might look back on this running in two, three, four years and say how integral it was to Liverpool really maintaining their status as one of the elite clubs in Europe.
0: Yeah so just I completely agree. Just to finish on that, the the comparison with everyone's kind of expecting West Ham to fall out of this top four, and as do I, it's quite, it's almost reminiscent of when everyone expected Leicester to slip up and not win the league. Um, people just think it can't be done, and somehow they just keep going. But I do think injuries will catch up with West Ham, potentially in this last seven games. Um, and Leicester, like I said earlier, something obviously hasn't gone right there recently, and those last three fixtures are brutal. I think we, now without Europe, I think we go unbeaten um, and I think, we, I think we just about make it. What I will say is, just to finish off on this little topic, is as much as you know, this season has been a bit of a nightmare in many ways for Liverpool, um, and obviously no one's enjoyed it as much because of the circumstances, I think it would be a huge shame if this season was to impact on what could be a fantastic season next year. For instance, if we do miss out on Champions League and we do end up in the Europa League or... Europa Conference, whatever it's going to be called next, then that would be a massive blow. I think I don't think necessarily in terms of transfers and summer spending, and you know, but I just think for the enjoyment of the next season, which could be fantastic because obviously everything has gone on. I'm desperate to get back to, to football, and as most people probably are, to have a season like this impact on what could be a brilliant season next year would be a huge shame. So I think we just have to get top four, and you know, the running looks decent. We're Playing better football, so yeah, let's go and do it. I think so. Yeah, that takes us nicely onto the final section of the show, which will just be previewing Leeds United. Um, Monday night at Ellen Road. Um, God knows when the last time we went there was, I imagine at least 15 years ago. Thankfully, I think Mark Viduca's retired now, so we won't be scoring four. Um, so yeah, John, just want to get um, team prediction really line up wise, um, an actual prediction in the score line. And obviously we beat them 4-3 at Anfield in what was pretty helter-skelter.
2: Um, so, yeah, how do you think the game's going to go this time around? I think Liverpool will win this 4-2. Leeds are a very dangerous team. Um, they're high intensity. They press a lot. They play out from the back. Um, I just feel just, it will be difficult for them to reach the same emotional and physical pitch that they reached in the victory away to Man City with 10 men. Like, teams don't put in that level of performance twice in a week. Never mind, it's promoted, and they're pretty much in and around mid-table. So I don't think they'll be able to reach that level again. As for the Liverpool team, I think as much maligned as Keita is, that Klopp might pick him in this game just because Leeds play a man-to-man marking system a lot of the time, and Keita is one of the most press-resistant midfielders. He can slalom through pressure, and he can get Liverpool on the front foot by carrying the ball through midfield. So I wouldn't be surprised if he started this game potentially alongside Thiago and uh, Fabinho because Thiago as well, obviously, is very adept at dribbling, very good under pressure and can use the ball very well in tight areas. So it'll be the usual back five, I think, in midfield trio of Thiago, Keita and Fabinho. And then the front three, I think. Yeah, I think it's time that Sadio Mane might have an extended spell on the bench. Um, I think he just might need it in terms of, of rest and recuperation. So I'd have Diogo Jota on the left wing. Uh, i play Roberto Firmino. Not only because I think Firmino is the best player at linking the play at Liverpool, I also think because he will play a big role in nullifying Calvin Phillips, who's Leeds' playmaker, who played very well at Anfield and had that assist for Jack Harrison with a long pass. So if Liverpool instruct Firmino to sit on him and kind of stifle him and to stop him, you know, getting him on the front foot with passes, I think that would would go a long way towards stopping them. And then obviously I'd have Mohamed Salah on the right wing. Like I said, I think it would be 4-2. I envision it being very open and very attacking. But if Liverpool are good, it could be a similar kind of story to the Atalanta away game, given the similarities between the way Leeds play and Atalanta play with the man marking, with the attacking football and with the high defensive line. So Liverpool have had four days complete rest between the Real Madrid game and the Leeds game, which in the context of this season feels like an eternity. So hopefully they're fresh. Hopefully they're not licking their wounds too much and feeling sorry for themselves after eliminating Europe. And if all of those factors coalesce and combine, I think that Liverpool will win this
0: 4-2. Well, some uh, interesting team predictions there in particular. So I want to go straight to you, Dave, on this before I give my thoughts. Um, what, what do you think, how will line up and obviously that all-important um, prediction for the scoreline?
1: Uh, it's difficult to say on the line-up. I'd, obviously, the, the back five picks itself and the front line, I'm I'm not starting for me, you no. I'd Salah Jot Marne. Um Jost is the best option through the middle for me. Salah has to play and then um Mane is is still is still way off it. But um I do think you know one thing he has done pretty well recently is sort of lay-on chances for others. And um, obviously he did that um, against Real Madrid as well early on. So you know he is, he is contributing in some way. Midfield, as as ever, is probably the main bone, bone of contention. Um, Fabinho will play. I don't feel you know too strongly really about who Klopp should pick. I've I've gone for, you know, if it was me, I'd I'd play Milner and Thiago, um, just because you know, as John's kind of alluded to, Thiago is a player who can cope well with. With kind of high intensity opponents, like as we saw against Leipzig, and I think um, Milner haven't come off in the 60th minute against Real. Um will probably still have the engine for this game. Um, I think he had the highest uh, mileage in the first half um, against Real. Um, and obviously, it is going to be the kind of game where you, literally, you are going to have to run yourself into the ground because kind of Leeds almost will force you to do that. Um, I would like to see Curtis Jones play at some point, but it looks like he's carrying a minor injury uh, at the moment. So maybe I would have thrown him in for this one if um, he was available. I'm not sure whether when Klopp does his press conference on on Saturday, I think it is whether that will, um, whether there'll be a positive update on that. But for now, yeah, Fabinho, Milner, Thiago. Um, In terms of how the game will go, um, on paper, it's. It's one that suits us, isn't it? Because we know we'll get space. We know we'll get chances. I I was looking at it yesterday. Leeds have the the fifth highest expected goals against in the league. I think only... No, wait, it wasn't even fifth highest. It was third highest expected goals in the league. I think it was only Sheffield United and West Brom um, who struggled more with that. So you're then wondering if we can be clinical, um, which has been our downfall in some games. Um, But I'd be confident that with the volume of chances that we'll probably have that Jasser and Salah could inflict the damage on them. Uh, on on the other side, obviously, um, if you flip it around, to expect the goals for Leeds are actually fifth in the table for that, um, and there's no doubt that they'll be able to hurt us. Although I do think Rafinha, who picked up a knock against City, he's a doubt. He could be a really big miss because he's, you know, when he plays, he just lights it up and he goes past players, creates chances for others. Predictions-wise, obviously, we all remember that game in, in September the um, fourth three on on the first day of the season. Um, it was probably one of the best games already, even though I think it was already the third game of the season. It was probably an early contender for, for game of the season. Um, and there's obviously lessons we can learn from that game. Like, you know, a big one was that we weren't closing down um, Carlton Phillips and he has us with a, a couple of the, uh, the long passes he was able to pick out. So I think it'll be another entertaining one, not quite as high scoring as that. I think um John mentioning the, the Atalanta away game is almost a little bit like <laughs> makes me feel a little bit uneasy just because of how easy that victory proved to be. But I can I can see the parallel. Um I think both teams will score. Um as, as John said, but Liverpool um will get the win in the end. And 4 2 is a decent shout. I reckon I'll go for 3 1 to us.
0: Well, this could be a first. He might have a clean sweep of Liverpool wins on the path, which is uh, which is nice. And um, team wise, I-, I would like to go with Jones, but like you touched upon, I'm not sure it will be fit. I think if he is fully fit, I think this would be a good game to go with him. Um, just because he takes up interesting positions, and I think Lee's lighter man Mark, like we've already touched upon, and I think Jones popping up in you know number ten roles could give us something different. Unfortunately, I think if he isn't fit. I just can't see him turning back to Cater, which might be me being a little bit harsh on Cater given what went on. <clears throat> but I think we'll see Wijnaldum instead, um, just because of the energy he brings, which is something you can't really question as much as people might question other things about him. He is very high energy. Um, so, yeah, I've gone with Thiago, Fabinho and Jones in midfield with the caveat that Wijnaldum probably replaces Jones. I think the Milner shout out an interesting one, given it's against his club where it all started for him, obviously. Um, I just think that a game with this sort of high intensity, is, as good as he's been of late, given the fact he started the last three games, this could be a step too far, potentially. Um, and front three-wise, I've actually gone Salah, Giotto and Mane, and I had the, Atla- the Atalanta game in mind when I did. I think they're quite similar in terms of the way they play, quite high energy attacking. And I think that front three worked really well over in Italy that night. So I'd like to see something similar um, and I'd like to see Mane score as well. Also, Salah, obviously, top goal scorer in the league, I think at the minute, joint, so it'd be nice for him to uh, go on and win that before the end of the season because, you know, given our struggles, he's probably been the one constant goal golfer, um, and I have gone for a Liverpool 3-1 win as well. Um, for all the reasons you both mentioned, very attacking sides tend to suit us, Leeds aren't going to change the way they play, and that City game last week could have been their crowning moments of the season and now they hopefully just sit back and uh, get on the beach, as they say. Um, but yeah, that's about all we've got time for. So before we do close out, just want to say thanks to John initially and also let him plug anything, the uh, customary
2: plug, uh, before he heads off. Yeah, the customary plug. So I actually wrote something for Anfield Index yesterday, which was published today, just about the positives that Liverpool can take from the Real Madrid match and how they can... Apply them to the end of the sea. You can find that at Anfield Index or on my Twitter, which is at Notorious JOS for those people who are gluttons for punishment.
0: You're not forgetting Notorious JOS anytime soon, are we? No, but yeah, genuinely
1: thanks for coming on. Um, and Dave, just any final thoughts from you? Well, obviously, what you really want, Dan, is a quick update on the uh, international analysis. Obviously, how, <laughs> how could <can> I. <laughs> no sort of obscure new entries this week, sadly. Um, we do have. Australia, Australia's been added to the list. We've got a listener in um, in Victoria, which I think is where where Melbourne is. Um, so that's that's quite a nice one. Um, Good
0: geography as well. Like also,
1: also Germany's um, doing doing quite well for us. Ten percent of our listeners are German, apparently, um, which I don't know if that is <laughs> if that reflects on our initial struggles in the UK or whether we're just uh, quite popular in Germany. But but yeah. Um, Join me next week for more (laughs) more of that (laughs) one. Yeah,
0: I'd imagine it's just Dietmar man Marcus Babel, um, Christian Zieger, people of that sort of ilk, um, and his fanboys, obviously. Uh, But no, yeah, um, genuinely thanks to both of you. uh, Massive thanks to John. We'll put the Twitters in the uh, bio as ever. And join us next week when we'll reflect on the Leeds United result and also look ahead to Newcastle. um, And Liverpool are going to make the top four.